0: Radical, Radical is the series that we're in and uh, I've got to be real open and honest about the next couple of weeks in this series called Radical. We're going to go somewhere perhaps where we haven't been before and I'll just say a bold statement right now, I don't have all the answers to the questions that will get raised over the next couple of weeks Um, and I imagine it will cause some degree of questioning and, and even Um, maybe even discomfort in ourselves as we work through this series. But I think that's a good place to be. I think it's good that we come to church and are sometimes challenged by Scripture, sometimes troubled even in our own spirit, and it causes us to move somewhere and go somewhere and work things out. So you've got to hear me. In some ways, what we'll share from the front will be more about provoking some questions. And this is why places like Connect Groups are so important because you can gather together and sort of talk about the message and chew it over. See, what did we really think about that? Perhaps you can also interact via this questions uh, option. Uh, another thing is eSource. We're gonna put little uh, things in eSource which allow you to go a little bit deeper if you wanna study it. So questions will be asked over the next couple of weeks. And to be honest, this is an area where Jess and I have been working really hard. Ourselves, Really, our journey's been about, I would say, up to two years. Certainly the last year we've been asking some difficult questions of ourselves. And it all has to do with Scripture. You're probably thinking, what on earth are we going to go into over the next couple of weeks? All has to do with Scripture. And the fact that we can move fairly quickly over some Scripture and then land safely on other Scripture, and we tend to like some Scripture and move fast over other scripture and so what this series is about is about challenging ourselves with the scriptures that maybe we want to move over a little bit quicker all right so that's basically the 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 setup for the series and and it all comes and begins with this first question here do we really believe what this book says and what is this book this book is the bible do we really believe what this book says because that is maybe the most important question by the way on the seats you should have seen little uh, orange uh, slips and and, uh, you can do fill in as it goes if you if there's sort of too many of you sitting in one row just look in front of you you can grab one of those and you can fill in the slips as well do we really believe what this book says i preach from this book i memorize the scripture from this book i actually listen i washed my car yesterday and i listened to the scripture on my ipad on my ipod um, on my iphone Uh, we meditated and it was great i was juggling at the same time it was awesome i was also memorizing scripture at the same time Uh, we try and be obedient this is what we do we love the bible we talk about it we say journal from this book but do we believe what this book says that's the question that we really want to ask and luke chapter 14 If you want to be reading a chapter in the next couple of weeks over and over again, that's a great one. Luke 9 and Luke chapter 14 has all sorts of dangerous scriptures with dangerous implications about them. And kind of a summary verse in all of this is Luke 14, 33, and it's Jesus speaking. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." It's one of those scriptures that sometimes I put in the too hard basket because that is a challenging scripture. In the same way, anybody that doesn't give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, what I want you to do is for about one minute, and I'll try and give you a full minute, talk to the person next to you. If you're on your own, that's all right. Think about it. But just have a chat about what you think Jesus means by everything. What does he actually mean when he says everything? So have a chat to the person next to you and See what you find out. Maybe you can tweet your answers through. Okay, so what does it mean when Jesus says everything? I mean, these are questions that Jess and I are sort of talking about at the moment. What does that mean? Does it mean everything? See, here's the thing I think we can do sometimes, is we make everything into the stuff that's left over. I mean, this is my challenge. We make everything into the stuff that we don't really want, our excess. We do our budget and there's, there's a bit more here, so we give of that. What, what does everything mean? And I'm not just talking finances, of course. But well, what does everything mean when Jesus says that? These are the questions we're going to ask. Here's another one. Go back to verse 26 uh, of 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That says to me everything. It's talking about everything that could be close to you, your father and your mother, your wife or your husband, your children. If you can't be a follower of mine if you cannot give up all of these things. It's clear here to me that Jesus is calling for us to make Him prime, for us to make Him number one in our life. Now in that last scripture, maybe you're all stuck there. Does that mean that? Does it mean that we hate our mother and our father? Is that what it means? Does it really mean that? Look, of course, no. Jesus himself tells us that we honour our mother and our father. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But he's saying something extreme here so that we don't water things down. I think comparatively, and think about it like that, comparatively Jesus is saying we love Jesus so much that we hate the other things that are in our life. I mean, in our life, the, way, the world that we live in, it's very unlikely anybody here by the way, is going to have to leave their family to follow Jesus. Although, honestly, for some, yes, that will be the case. And I know some of you are already battling some of that question. If I follow Jesus, I know my family's not happy about that. And what does that mean? And Jesus is saying, yeah, it does matter that much. I sat, though, with a young guy in India. And uh, this guy would have been about 21. He was graduating from Bible college. Now, for him, it meant this. Because his father threatened him. He, was, he came from a Hindu family. His father threatened him, if you leave us and go to that Christian faith, he said, I will commit suicide. You have brought so much shame on the family. I'll commit suicide. This son said, I love Jesus. I'm leaving my family. And the father committed suicide. And I was there on the day that he graduated. Now, this is the challenge that we have. This is the challenge we have in our own life. Do we love Jesus that much? that we would walk away from some of the things that are so precious to us, the demands of the gospel. So I want to ask three main questions today and um, three main areas that we're going to talk about. And uh, we're going to follow on on those things. So the first one is, do we believe what the Bible says about, and if you've got fill-in sheets, you can write this one down, discipleship. Because these are the areas that we see I think incredibly challenging statements come from the Bible. Is that in a good place? Is that all right there? That's okay. What does the Bible say about discipleship? Let's now flip to Luke chapter 9. You may want to really bring your Bibles for the next couple of weeks. We'll be flipping around um, chapters, by the way. Luke chapter 9. I want to have a real quick look at this. Listen to this. Large crowds are starting to follow Jesus. And this is what happens. Luke 9.57 Luke 9.57 It says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, and him is Jesus, He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We're going to come back to that. Interesting statement. Next thing he says, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? What what that says to me first up here about discipleship, it seems to me that Jesus is actually turning people away. Here's the challenging part of me. And I ask this question about us even here in a church is it it seems to me that Jesus is trying to talk people out of following him. I know our concept, certainly my concept or my my concept that I struggle with is that I'll just about do anything to to convince somebody maybe, maybe that word's the wrong word, but, but I want people to follow Jesus and so I'll sort of bend over backwards to talk about it, make it right, make this environment right so that they will follow Jesus and yet the question I wrestle with out of this is Jesus seems very happy to let people walk away if they don't understand that it, it's going to mean a life of followership, a, a life of discipleship at the extreme levels. Whenever the crowds would get too big, I love this one, Jesus would say things like, well, so there's big crowds gathering around. I think the disciples are getting excited about this. And Jesus would gather them around and say, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you need to eat my flesh and drink of my blood. And the crowd would start to whittle away. And I think the disciples probably gathered around and said, Jesus, do you, Jesus, if we want to be the biggest movement here, you know, if we want to gather a big crowd, you've got to stop telling people to eat you. you know." <laughs> I mean, really. What, what do you, I think I would love to have seen the disciples' jewels. They would have hit the floor at these times when Jesus said these things. But Jesus was happy for people to move away. So, we're going to ask three quick questions on this question of discipleship. So these ones come under the question of discipleship here. The first question is this Will we choose comfort or a cross? Will we choose comfort or a cross? I'm going to go back to that first passage of Scripture. It's that first guy, he says, I'll follow you wherever I go. So he's eager. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. And it doesn't sound very comfortable. And that's what I think is really at the heart of what Jesus is saying there. If you're going to follow me, it may not be all comfortable. Again, I think we have an opposite view sometimes of what it means to follow Jesus. That if I follow Jesus, then I get the comfort, right? If I follow Jesus, I get the job. I get the financial thing sorted. I get my relationship The boyfriend, the girlfriend, the husband or wife that I want. I get all the things that I need in my life. My life becomes comfortable because I follow Jesus. See, what we have to be careful of is sometimes we make Jesus into almost the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus pushes hard the other way. And the real point to all this is Jesus isn't a means to anything. The whole point is Jesus. Jesus is a means to Jesus. You come to faith and you get Jesus that's what you get you get him in life Jesus is our father he's the one who provides I get all those things but first of all you get Jesus I was always challenged by John Piper I think it's John Piper well-known minister in the US but he says this he says you know what we get with our salvation we're saved from eternal destiny away from God what we get We should be so thankful for that if Jesus took us and put us in a pit for the rest of our earthly lives, and that's all we did, we were saved, but we lived in a pit, we did nothing else, we should be worshipping him every single day, because we get Jesus, that's what we get. If we get nothing else, we got Jesus, and so we should be glad about that, and so it changes our perception, it means when I pray to him, I pray, Jesus, today I want you I want you. My first thing that I want, my first prayer is you. Not my comfort, it's you. Now, I know that there's balance to this. I know that there's wrestle to this. I know that God is a God that's loving. But we preach that a lot. And so this series, we're pushing that pendulum back the other way a little bit. Because I think we need to, because I think we need to challenge our own hearts sometimes. Jesus says... Comfort or a cross. Again, in India, it's worth you and I love that we have six people going to India because this is where sometimes some of these things get challenged. Scott and Tracy will tell you about it in China, where in Papua New Guinea they'll tell you about it. Some of these other nations, but in India, I saw it firsthand. There was a young guy. This is what challenges me when I start getting feeling sorry for myself. I tell you what, in this nation of India, they're not praying for a raise or for new internet connection which I may or may not have been praying for in recent times. You know, they're praying, God, let me live through the year. This is in Northern India, by the way. Great persecution in Northern India. We don't even talk about it but it's great persecution. Lord, let me, not even the year, maybe just this week, God, help me to live through this week. There was a a young pastor there called Bulu and I often pray for Bulu. He, he was just a young guy, full of life. But in his journey of following Jesus and being a pastor, he had lost everything. He had to leave everything, except for one thing, a set of Congo drums. He was a drummer. And, he, and every time the worship would happen, they'd find a set of drums and give it to him, and he would play them. Because he didn't have his own. You know why he didn't have his own? It was the one thing left in the world he had. And this one night, this great persecution came, and people came to beat them up and they had to run and they set fire to the place they were living in and he lost his congress he lost the one thing that he had, the last thing that he had in the world and I was like, I remember being there going, to me that doesn't make sense Jesus, to be honest that doesn't make sense to me, that's the last thing that he had, you took that off him and even as I was preparing this, I've wrestled with that one, I've all, Like, we have so much and that guy had nothing and even that was gone and I just felt like God said but he's got me he's got Jesus I think Bulu would say I have Jesus that's what I have I have Jesus Jesus is his focus everything else is insignificant Paul says I've learned to know what it is to be content in all circumstances and he talks about being rich or poor but what Paul's discovered is I have Jesus that's the main thing that's the main thing that I have So we struggle with this. Comfort or a cross, which one is it for you? Are you willing to follow Jesus irrespective of what he gets or gives to you? Here's the next one here on the list, and you can fill this one out. Maintenance or mission. Maintenance or mission. So this is under discipleship. Will we choose maintenance or mission? The second guy says this. Uh, Jesus starts it, says, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Troubling scriptures again. Let the dead bury their own dead. We've got a memorial service for Pastor Trevor this Saturday. Can you imagine if we said, well, let the dead bury their own dead. Let Pastor Trevor sort it out himself. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. They're harsh, hard words that Jesus is saying. And again, he's pushing us to an extreme because he doesn't want us, I think even thousands of years later, to water it down too much. What he's saying here, I think, is this, that everything else matters way more, should matter way less in comparison to the duty of proclaiming the gospel. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying here, is that if you have your list of priorities and that end is proclaiming the gospel of seeing his kingdom come, then just about everything else needs to fall down to that end over there. As he's saying, don't have a funeral for your parents, I, of course he isn't saying that, literally saying that. But he's saying you better have your priorities right. The proclaiming the kingdom matters big time. Try telling Jesus that he's too focused on mission. I mean, think about that. I mean, we get that challenge here. Larger churches get that a lot. Oh, you're just into numbers. You're just into building programs. You're just into, I don't know, making yourself look good. You're just That's all you're into. Well, Jesus was hard-nosed on some of these things. And he said, what matters most beyond anything else is that my kingdom is proclaimed here on this earth. And it's got to challenge us. It challenges me. Jesus says, let the dead bury your own dead. And the church will always, church as a whole, individuals and families will always face those two options, mission or maintenance, business as usual, status quo or radical abandonment to the proclamation of the gospel. Will we choose maintenance or mission? And here's the last mini one of these here. You have indecisive minds or undivided hearts. Indecisive minds or undivided hearts is the last story or example that Jesus gives. Uh, Luke nine sixty two. Another says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back. You can't even look back. You cannot even go back and say goodbye to your mother. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Now, to me, what Jesus is picking at here is a form of indecision. Indecision, I think, it's sort of putting off what we're supposed to be doing, and it works like this, and we've all had this before, where Jesus is impressed in our heart, go and do something. And what we say, in fact, is, oh, I will do that, but what I've got to do first is just go and do this other thing. So we're reading our devotions and he says, apologize to that person or ring that person and say, I'll serve on that team. I'll help at that memorial service or whatever it might be. And then what we do is we go, well, I'll just have lunch first. I'll just go out for a coffee. First. I just got to do some shopping and some errands and that's the next day. And then just got to have some breakfast and all oh, that thing. I was going to do that. I will do it. I might do it. I didn't do it, but I'll do it next time. I think that's what Jesus is saying is that sometimes we just have to follow him. Sometimes we just have to choose to say yes. See, when I get those sort of promptings, very often, I mean, I'm being a bit bold here, but Jess and I had a conversation maybe uh, a few days ago about a real challenge that we both sort of felt was on our hearts. And I've watched, I was thinking about it in the worship, how probably after a few days, I'm sort of stepping away from maybe the challenge that he's giving. And you can even hear it in my words now. I don't want to fully commit, I'm not sure. Because I'm in my own mind, I'm saying, is it wise? Is it a good thing? Should I be doing that? Now, do we throw out wisdom? Is that what I'm saying? Well, of course not. Do we not get good counsel from other people? Of course not. But I am saying that sometimes we just follow. Sometimes we just say yes. Sometimes we just say immediately, I will do that. And I think that's what Jesus is saying about discipleship, is that we have to be people that are focused and say, I'll do that. This is the radical sort Of discipleship that Jesus is asking of us and so we've got to ask what does it mean to be followers of Jesus we were in um, Israel and I tell you one of the things that really hit me when we went through the holocaust museum you know what sat on my heart most and we sat together as a team afterwards and we said where were the Christians during the holocaust still breaks my heart now some stood up Dietrich Bonhoeffer stands out in that group some stood up some did something many there were stories written on the walls about churches that would sing right next to the trains that would go past with the screaming jews inside of them and they would sing louder as the trains went past to drown out that noise because they kept off putting off doing the thing that they knew god was telling them to do and we said where were the christians and today And and, and I only brought that back to ourselves. Where are we today? What are we not doing today that God is telling us to do? I mean, it spooks me to think that God has been asking things of us today and we're not doing them. Undivided hearts is what he wants from us. So let's keep moving. There's two other things I think that God is asking of us or that we see in the scriptures Jesus say that are very challenging what, do we believe what this book says about the lost? I just want to challenge, really, here. So 2 Thessalonians 1, seven, and you just might want to brace yourself, because again, scriptures that we move over fast. Follow along, it says, "'This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven "'in a blazing fire with powerful angels "'who will punish those who do not know God "'and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus.'" They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Everlasting destruction is what the scripture says. Do we believe what this book says about the lost? About those that say that Jesus isn't the way to salvation? The, those that do not follow God in, what, in the way that he asked them to? Revelation 2015, if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. begs the question, do we believe that? Because there's coming a day when a judgment will come on this earth. It'll come on us, it will come on everybody. And one of the options is unending destruction, door closed from the majesty of God forever, instead of lake of fire where the smoke of torment burns forever and ever without end. Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, it changes the way we live our life. It changes the way we use our resources. If we don't believe it, then we can just use our resources however we like. But if we do believe it, we've got to think different. You know, at the moment, there's, I think, 7 billion people in the world. I mean, 7 billion people in the world that live presently. They say, and this is the liberal... Estimates, sort of everybody that on a census would tick Christian if they could, about a third of the world say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, even if you look at that, that's something like four and a half billion people that are lost forever if we believe what this book says about the lost. Just think about Ipswich here, and I just did really rubbery figures, but 160,000 maybe people are walking away from God forever in peril of being eternally separated from God in hell. If that's true, we cannot play games with the way that we do church and the way we do our life. We use our life differently. We use our resources differently. Do we believe what this book says about the poor is the final thing here? We're going to sort of look at some of these over the next couple of weeks in a little bit more detail. Do we believe what this book says about the poor? Here are the facts today. Over a billion people live and die in desperate poverty and they're living on less than a dollar a day. A billion people. Close to two billion people live on two dollars a day. For, for over a billion people, what it costs you and I to buy sort of fries from Macca's, over a, over a billion of those people do not have, for, for, for that money, um, those people could buy food, water, shelter, clothing and medical care today. The reality is most of our dogs and cats live on probably more than about $2 a day. Again, let's bring it down a little bit more. Um, you know that, and I just checked these stats out just last couple of days. 30,000 children die from preventable, preventable diseases every single day. I mean, I had to check that because I thought it was getting better, way better than that. But 30,000 die from preventable diseases, starvation, those sort of diseases every single day. Now, just before we make it a big number, think in terms of yourself. For me, think Cammy and Evie's and Summers. 30,000 of them. Think about your nieces and your nephews and your brothers and your sisters that are dying every single day. And if you think about that in the context of Ipswich, it'd only take about one or two days for all of the children in Ipswich to be wiped out. And let's be honest, we're not even inconvenienced by this. That kind of extreme poverty doesn't even really register on our radar because of our affluence. But they're basically powerless, these children. And we don't see them and we don't hear them. And we don't have to do anything with them. You know, little, literally millions of them are dying every day. And uh, I guess it feels like they don't exist. And the reality is they do exist. And what frightens me is what Scripture says about people that follow Jesus and the way they treat the poor. Because it's very clear as you read all the Scripture, the people that follow Jesus have a concern, a raging concern for the poor. It's all over Scripture. It's not even hard to find. He says things like this in Isaiah, God's talking through his prophet, but he says, you're fasting, you're doing all these religious exercises, it means nothing if you ignore the poor, nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything, you claim to know me, but you turn a deaf ear to the poor, you don't know me. That's what he says, he measures the integrity of our faith by the way we treat the poor. No concern for the poor, in God's eyes, equals no integrity of faith, they go together. Proverbs 21.13 says this, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. What the Bible says, means we can gather together here and cry out to God, but if we're shutting our eyes to the poor, and yep, you've got to talk about what that really means, but if you're shutting your eyes to the poor, then God can't hear your prayers. It's challenging. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. We love that phrase. But he who closes his eyes to him receives many curses. God curses. You're cursed by God if you close your eyes to the poor. Hear me, they're not convenient words. That's why as a church, one, I like that right now, by the way, this is not linked to an offering. We're not about to take an offering. We just want our hearts to be challenged. But it is why, as a church, we give to MPAT that reaches into poverty in northern India through churches. It's why we've been giving for all these many, many years to an orphanage in China. And by the way, there's a a new challenge with that orphanage at present, which we're wrestling with. And trying to work out how to meet that need beyond even our current budget. And it's why we're giving currently or about to begin to give to Papua New Guinea, one of our closest neighbours and children that are in poverty, men and women that are in poverty in that country. But you know what? It's not just about appeasing our conscience and saying we did something. It's just about asking the question about the integrity ultimately of our faith and where we stand before God. Are we doing this because we want to see people generously come back to life? Scrub your motives for full God. That's the questions that we're asking. Do we believe what this book says about the poor? Because it's challenging. Jesus says, I think in 1 John that if Christ is in us, it'll be evident in us. And if it's not evident in us, then we should question, is Christ in us? Ultimately we ask questions. Do we believe what this book says about the lost? Do we believe what this book says about discipleship? Lots of questions. We're going to Share communion now, and it's a, it's a good point to share communion. So if those that are coming can come and hand it out. Dan, I don't know if there was any comments or questions at this point, and I might, I sure might not have good answers. I just want to make that <laughs> clear. We're working it out. They're more sort of centred around the beginning of your message. Um, one is, is, uh, is there a difference between a follower and a disciple? Um another one was does the leadership of this church call Christians to the standard of discipleship that this book teaches um, well let's do one at a time so what was the first right. one is there a f- difference between follower and a disciple and a disciple I it, well that one probably does just go to definitions right mm. like I think you know if you if you just mean following means sort of walking in the general direction of Jesus and a disciple is somebody that's some of these things and and more and all that, then yes, there's a difference. But I think often in Christian terms, follower and disciple would be the same thing. That's how I would interpret it. The next one, does our church call people to these standards? Um, Yep, good question. I I mean, this is what we're wrestling with. This is why we're sharing this uh, sermon series. And uh, it's why we're sort of handing the questions back to you as well. We're asking the questions of ourselves. That's the best answer I've got for that. Yep. We're trying to be as authentic as we can. Uh, this is more a comment. Uh, the issue is not everything, but but give up that original one you sort of asked. Um, and to give up is to offer up. So I think there was some really there's a few that are cam- came. So it's a in. comment. Yeah. Is to give up is to offer up. Yeah. Yep. Great. So good. You also told me my fly was undone. Oh, so no, is sure your fly undone? No, it was fine. Did you do it up? No, I didn't. And I'm assuming that was Des Jones, actually. I said I'd keep it anonymous, but I'm pretty sure it's Des. So (laughs) that's about it for now. All right. (laughs) Okay. So we're handing out communion. Don't forget, you can uh, ask questions at questions at catalystchurch.com.au. I I don't want to, like, destroy anybody. I want you to wrestle with these questions. And if you've got questions, you can email them in, and we can back and forth on them and and we're saying this is an ongoing conversation because i just want to repeat it there are counter not countering but there's balancing scriptures scripture interprets scripture and so we need to wrestle with that but today i'm not about just presenting a nice easy balanced message and we we go away unmoved we've got to be challenged in our own hearts so it's a good point for communion because it all brings us to a necessary conclusion where we're going Firstly, the challenge again is, if we have so much, are we living up to the life that God tells us to live to? Not just about our finances, the way we follow, in our discipleship, the life that we live. Are we following Him? Are we blind? Is there blind spots in our life in the way that we're currently living to the things that He's asking for us? But what this communion message says, and you need to hear this, unequivocally, clearly, without any doubt, what communion says to us is that we can do nothing to be acceptable to God. We can do nothing to be acceptable to God. That we're acceptable to God because of the cup and the bread, because of His blood and His body that was broken on a cross. It's Christ alone. He did it all. We're saved by grace. That's what is so awesome about communion. That's why I love we're doing communion we were meant to do it last week actually moved it to this week it's a great point to say in this sort of a message that we're saved by grace it's not about working it's not about all of these things that god will accept us but it's only by jesus christ and maybe you're here today and you've never accepted jesus christ you've never come to that point of saying jesus i want to follow you today would be a good day of following jesus but don't fall into the pattern or the thought of thinking, well, I've got to do, Ah, oh, that's what it's all about. This, this is the beautiful thing about our faith. It's not about those things. It's about accepting what Jesus has done. But that changes us. It brings a response in us. There's a parable, and it goes a little bit like this, and I'm very much sharing my version on this. But there's a guy, and he's looking for a treasure in a field. And the Bible talks about it like this, Jesus talking. And he says he finds the treasure. And he realizes it's worth so much that he goes out, as my version, he sells his car and he goes back to the owner of that field. He says, here's proceeds of the sale of my car. Can I have the field? And the owner says, that's not enough. And he thinks about it sort of goes away again. And uh, he sells his house. I really want that treasure. It's the best thing I've ever seen. He sells his house and his car and he comes back to the owner of the field. He says, here's everything I've got or, or, or what I've got. Can, can I have the field? The owner says, no, that's not enough. He goes out again and he, and he sells, well, he's already sold his house, his car. This time he, he empties out his bank accounts. He sells all of his possessions. He has a garage sale. He understands what this is about. He sells everything he gathers every single bit of finance that he has and resource that's available to him, all that he is. And he goes back to the owner and says, here's everything that I have. Can I have the field? And the owner says, yeah, you can have the field. You can have the treasure because it's worth everything that you've got. But here's my twist on it. See, following Jesus is a little bit like this. We go to Jesus and we say, here's everything that I've got. And And it's a little bit like this. Jesus says, I I love that you're giving me everything you've got, but here, have it all back. It's a bit like that owner says to that man in that moment, have it it all back. You can have the treasure, but have it all back. Have all of your life back. Have your car back. Have your possessions back. Have it all back. But Jesus says, just live a life worthy of following me. Live a life where you understand my grace, that I've given it all to you. And now that I've given it all to you, use it now for my glory. Use it to follow me. Use it to love the poor. Use it to be a better disciple of me. Use it to reach the lost. Understand my grace and what I've given you. See, that's our challenge as we listen to Scripture, as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, that we understand what Jesus has done, what it means in our life, what it means in the response, the response that he's calling us to. The beautiful thing about communion is we can repent and we can take time in our own heart to be challenged. And what I want to do today is read some of those scriptures again. I'm just going to pause and let you just talk to God in that moment about where you're at. So I want you to place yourself in these scriptures. So Luke 14, 25. Crowds gathering around. So large, it says large crowds are traveling with Jesus. So you're you're in that crowd. And turning to them, he said, or turning to you, he says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." then he goes on, he says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he first not sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money? For if he lays the foundation and can't finish it, everyone will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go, to war against another king, will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just in your own moment, why don't you eat and drink when you're ready. First up, Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your bloodshed. We thank you for your body. that was broken on a cross. We thank you for what it means. And I don't know that I even can fully understand the gratitude that I have, or fully understand what you did and have enough gratitude for what you did for us, for what you did for me. But Father, I repent, and I know many here repent, God, for just attitudes in their own hearts where they've treated you as a means to an end rather than being the main point. Father, we pray that you challenge us. And God, as we work through this series, Lord, I pray that you would just humble us, God, but give us ears that hear, Lord, speak to us by your Spirit to be able to hear you and be able to decipher these things and work it out. Lord, those of us that are troubled in our spirit and walking that journey with you, God, I pray that you would lead us on that journey. That you would be our guide, our loving Father, our protector. That you would send that Holy Spirit to come alongside and speak into our ear, we pray. In Jesus' name. I really want to say that as you do your devotions this week, I think it's a a series lost if we don't begin to challenge ourselves. You don't think about The things in your life. This is not just about finances at all. This is about our life, the way we follow. Do we give everything, our attitudes, the, the life that we live? Is it a life fully surrendered to God? Are you giving everything? But ask the question, what does everything mean? Does it mean everything? That's a good question. Don't be ashamed of that question. But work it out with God. Understand it. Walk that journey. Talk to people about it. Pray for each other as you work it out. And and as we do this, don't forget this one thing, that He is the goal. The goal is not the lost. It's not the poor. The goal actually is Christ. We want Christ. He's the center of everything that we want in our life. And the beauty of this is when He's at the center, and this is what was sort of brought up in this, comment that somebody made when he's at the center i don't think these things feel like sacrifice when we really place him in the center these things feel like an offering these things change our perspective on how we give and how we follow and what we'll do for him so we want christ to be the center of our life we want christ to be the center of our families and we want christ to be the center of this church And that's what we're wrestling about. And I would pray, I would ask that you would pray for us as a leadership. One of the questions was, what does this mean for us as a church? How do we work through this? Pray for us as a leadership as we wrestle through these questions. Pray for Jess and I. Pray for each other. That God would speak to us and that we would walk a walk of being true disciples, people that follow Him. It's our prayer together. I want to say again that uh, equip Sorry, the uh, eSource is another great tool. I'll be putting tools in there where you can follow up and follow these things. A lot of our thoughts are coming from a book called Radical by a guy called uh, David Platt. It's available at the b- at the bookshop uh, afterwards. Encourage you to read it because it'll it's what stretches you. You can and then you can Google this and find out uh, lots of other people's thoughts as they wrestle with these sorts of topics. It's a it's a great book and a and a really great read.